Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. Do you guys remember those talk shows from the 90s that were popular? Jerry Springer, Ricky Lake, Maury Povich. Well, there was one that was super popular and everyone loved it and it was the Jenny Jones Show. Jenny's shows were sometimes really goofy and sometimes serious. The show ran for 12 seasons. It was on the air from 1991 until 2003. I remember being a teen and watching it during snow days. It was literally like junk food for your mind. It started out kind of like Oprah, where it was serious topics. After two seasons, they realized it would be way more beneficial if they made their show more outlandish. The ratings would then skyrocket, and it worked. Some episodes were out-of-control teens getting sent off to boot camp. Some were paternity tests, feuding neighbors, cheating spouses. It wasn't quite as outlandish as the Jerry Springer show, but it was definitely out there. Sometimes they did episodes where a person would reveal their secret crush. In a very short nutshell, a person would see an ad about the secret crush show, contact the Jenny Jones show, and say, I want to reveal my crush. The show would then contact the secret crush and say some line like, someone has a crush on you, will you be on our show, and that person will reveal it. The show pays for both parties to fly out to Chicago, Illinois, where it's filmed. The other person doesn't know who has a crush on them since it's kept under wraps pretty well. Some of these episodes have ended great with the secret crush being revealed and the other party feeling elated and saying they have a crush on them as well. Sometimes they ended with, well, that's very nice, but I'm really not interested. Let's just be friends instead. It was all kind of a gamble. One episode happened in 1995, and the other party was extremely humiliated and drove him to murder. This is the case of Scott Amador and Jonathan Schmitz. Scott Amador was born on January 26, 1963. At the time this story takes place in 1995, he was 32 years old. Scott lived in Michigan. I don't know much about Scott's background, not even what he did for a living. I just know he was a happy gay man. This was the 90s, and homosexuality was at the very beginning of being socially accepted. It seems like most people knew someone who was gay or knew someone who knew someone who was gay. Nowadays, it's more open and less discrimination. We still have a long ways to go, though. And I'm going to stop there because if not, I'll go on my huge rant about LGBT rights and so on. I'll do a separate show someday about that. You guys know I'm a very open supporter of the LGBT community. My son was bisexual, and a lot of his friends who my husband and I have kind of taken under our wings are gay, lesbian, non-binary, and transsexual. I'm surrounded by LGBT folks all the time, and they're some of the best people I know. Another key character in this story is a man named Jonathan Schmitz. Jonathan is a 24-year-old man who lives not too far from Scott. He works as a waiter at a local restaurant, The Bottle and Cork. Scott and Jonathan don't know each other well. They have a mutual friend named Donna. 
Now, I'm not 100% certain how the three of them came to be on the Jenny Jones show. The show asked at the end of an episode if anyone out there would like to participate in a secret crush reveal show to please call the show. I don't know if Scott saw it and was like, here's my chance to let Jonathan know I like him, or if Donna saw it and told Scott, you should go on the show and reveal your secret crush in front of an audience. According to Scott's neighbor, Scott was big into talk shows. He watched all of them, except Oprah, because he said it was too mild for him. She said he really liked the shows that revealed the intimate details of people's private lives. He would call me up and say, you won't believe what they're talking about today. Scott and Donna are going to fly to Chicago for the taping of the show. Now, Jonathan gets contacted by the Jenny Jones show, and the producers tell him, look, someone you know who wants to remain anonymous has a crush on you. They would like to reveal it on our show. Would you like to be a part of it? Jonathan has no idea who his secret admirer is, so he says he's going to go on the show out of curiosity. The producers also implied that his admirer was a beautiful woman. They didn't come out and say it like that, but they implied it. So Jonathan is excited and can't wait to find out who his secret admirer is. Jonathan has no criminal history. He does have a mental illness history, but he's able to work and get along in society just fine every day. It wasn't debilitating. Jonathan goes out and buys hundreds of dollars in new clothes to wear to the show. He gets a nice haircut. He's getting nervous because he doesn't know who it could be. He said he had an inkling that it could maybe be Donna as the secret admirer, and Donna, remember, is the mutual friend. So he went to Donna and asked her if she had any plans in the next few days. She said no. He then flies out to Chicago on the day of filming. Now, what the show does is they put Jonathan in a soundproof booth with headphones on. He can't see or hear anything that is happening on the stage. The audience comes in and sits down, and Scott and Donna are sitting on the stage. Jenny Jones comes out, and everyone starts cheering. Now, remember, Donna is the mutual friend, and she's on the stage with Scott, and she's, I guess, just there for, like, support or just maybe to be, like, you know, his backup. Like, yes, he does have a huge crush on him, and he talks about him all the time. Donna wasn't um, attracted to either one of the men. She was just there as their mutual friend. So Jenny reveals that today's show was going to be same-sex crush reveals. She asks Scott why he's there, and he says he has a crush on his neighbor, Jonathan. Jenny asks Scott, what would you like to do with Jonathan? Scott makes a joke that he wants to be in a hammock with him with strawberries and whipped cream. The audience claps and hoots and hollers. Finally, Jenny says, well, let's bring Jonathan out. Jonathan comes out of the soundproof booth and is shocked to see Donna and Scott sitting there. Jonathan is extremely embarrassed to learn that Scott has a crush on him and that he was his secret admirer. Scott gives Jonathan the most awkward hug ever, and they both sit down. Jonathan is played the tape of Scott talking about the things he would do to him. Jonathan is extremely nervous and just kind of laughs about it. His body language would later be analyzed by experts, and he was showing all the signs of having a breakdown. He's laughing, but he puts his head down in his hands to cover his face. 
But to the average viewer, he just looks a little embarrassed and is nervously laughing about all of this. Jonathan states he is not interested and he is a heterosexual man. He doesn't like men. The crowd starts booing him. Scott looks disappointed, but he knew this was a risk he was going to take. The show is incredibly awkward and cringy. Whatever embarrassment Jonathan was feeling, he managed to still remain calm and polite. According to a former Jenny Jones employee who is anonymous, he said the general mood was one of sadness mixed with bewilderment. You can actually find the video online. It's been a couple years since I watched it, but it's public and all over the internet. Even though it's never aired on television, it's still out there. It comes out later that Scott and John- Jonathan knew each other for about a month. They weren't close. I think they had hung out once with their mutual friend, Donna. Jonathan knew Scott was gay, and he wasn't really phased by it. He had the same mindset that a lot of straight men have, especially in the 90s. It's that famous line, I know you've heard it, I don't care if you're gay, just don't hit on me. So he wasn't bothered that Scott was gay. But he never thought in a million years that Scott was his secret admirer and he was going to bring him on a national television program and reveal in front of an audience that he had a secret crush on him. The show ends and everyone goes home. For the next two to three days, Jonathan is acting different. He's embarrassed and feeling shitty. He thought some beautiful woman was his secret admirer, and he feels like he got ambushed and put on the spot. His coworkers said he seemed off in those couple days. On the second night home from the show, Jonathan stayed the night at the home of a female friend. He came back to his apartment about 10 a.m., and he finds a note that was written by Scott and left on his porch. It wasn't public what was written in that note. Whatever it was to Jonathan, it was the nail in the coffin. He'd been, it's been noted that the note was sexually suggestive, but again, its contents weren't released publicly. Jonathan leaves his apartment and drives to his bank where he withdrew $300 in cash. He then drove to a hardware store and he asked the clerk for a box of 12-gauge shotgun shells. He used some of the cash that he withdrew to pay for them. Jonathan pulls into a strip mall and walks into Gary's gun shop. He tells the owner he'd like to purchase a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun. He paid $249 for it, and he had to fill out a background info card. That's all they did back then. He told the shop owner that he was going hunting with his father, and that's why he needed a shotgun. Jonathan drives to his apartment where he assembles the shotgun and loads it with bullets. He then drives to Scott's house. He asks Scott about the note. It's not known what the two of them talked about. But then Jonathan walks off the porch and to his car where he retrieves his shotgun. He walks back up to the porch. Scott sees what he's carrying and began frantically closing the door. Scott armed himself with only a wicker chair that was in his living room. Jonathan shoots Scott twice in the chest and he dies instantly. Jonathan leaves and he calls 911. He's shaken and he tells the operator that he thinks he just killed a man. She asked the location and he gives it to her. She asked why did he do it? 
Jonathan's response is, because he fucked me on national television. Jonathan is immediately arrested. This trial would be highly publicized. He was known as the Jenny Jones show killer. Court TV was airing all-day sessions, and the news was giving nightly updates. The prosecutor in Jonathan's trial, Richard Thomas, gets a lot of heat from the media and Scott's friends and family. I don't know if the guy was homophobic or what, but he seemed to sympathize with Jonathan's actions, which is completely the opposite of what a prosecutor is supposed to do. His job is to put this guy away for the rest of his life. After the tape of the Jenny Jones show aired in court, Richard says, what you are seeing on the tape is a 24-year-old man facing the studio audience and the camera with what I consider to be an ambush. He is visibly upset. People are laughing. This seems to be a defense attorney's argument, but it's coming from the prosecutor, which is completely the wrong thing to say. I'm no lawyer, but what the fuck? This outrages the gay community who knew that Scott was murdered because he was gay. Jonathan's attorney is Fred Gibson. Fred isn't a criminal attorney. He's more of a tax fraud and business type attorney, but he agreed to represent Jonathan. Fred states that Jonathan was told when he arrived at the show that his secret crush was a woman and the producers say they told him it could be a man or a woman. They adamantly denied that they told him it was solely a woman. Jonathan was charged with first-degree murder. You guys know from my past shows that in order to be tried for first-degree murder, all the stars have to align just right. First-degree murder isn't a charge that gets handed out to just anyone. The prosecutors must prove that this murder was premeditated. The fact that Jonathan bought ammunition at one store and a gun at another store was the best argument the prosecution had for first-degree murder. They also have Jonathan on tape confessing to the murder, but it was inadmissible because he was not read his Miranda rights beforehand. The defendant not being read their Miranda rights has really affected a lot of cases. You can have someone claiming they killed someone to a police officer on tape, but it can get thrown out if that police officer doesn't read them their Miranda rights, which is exactly what happened. The defense claimed that it was whatever that was in that note found on the porch that set these events in motion. They also stated that Jonathan had a thyroid disorder that can cause irrational behavior. The, no the note caused him to snap. Jonathan was found guilty of second-degree murder in 1996, and he was sentenced to 25 to 50 years. His conviction was overturned with an appeal. He was retried, and the same sentence was reinstated. In 1999, this is four years after Scott's murder, his family sued the Jenny Jones Show and its parent company, Warner Brothers, for their ambush tax tactics and negligence. A jury found the show to be irresponsible and negligent, and their lack of transparency to Jonathan that his secret admirer could be a man created this whole situation. The family is awarded $25 million, but... Warner Brothers appealed, which was expected, and the judgment was overturned. The family would not receive the $25 million. They walk away with no money. In August of 2017, 22 years after the murder, 
Jonathan is freed from prison due to good behavior. He just celebrated his 50th birthday. Jonathan keeps a low profile and stays to himself. I'm disgusted by the way that this man is able to go on and live a normal life and Scott has been dead for years. This was a major blow to the LGBT community. A lot of people, not me, think, you know, what he did was wrong, but he was tried and he was found guilty and he did complete a sentence that was imposed by a judge. It's time to move on. The Jenny Jones Show went off the air in 2003, and Jenny spends her time as a woman's health advocate. She is 74 years old now and doesn't have much to do with Hollywood these days. I'm so sorry to Scott's family. They lost their son. His killer was only put away for 22 years, and they received no financial compensation. If you attend Pride or other LGBT events like myself, you will see Scott's photo on some of the posters and signs. It will never bring Scott back, but we will always remember his life, his smile, his humor. Scott's brother said that if Scott were alive today, he'd probably be working at a tech company as technology was his passion. Scott would be 57 years old today. Who knows where he'd be in life? I want to think he would be happy at how far we've come as a society and so many more people are free to be open about their sexuality. That's it for today. Rest in peace, Scott. Take care and much love to you all.